in an emergency and I didn't get very far last week. I thought, you know, I had a little teaching. I'd come in one night, teach that, and then, you know, how that is. So, uh, but, uh, and, and even since then, I've studied some more and come up with some more stuff. So, I hope this doesn't last six weeks and Pastor may cut it off. Hallelujah. But anyway, we've been talking about uh, what to do in an emergency. And we know that Brother Copeland, uh, in, uh, I believe it was in November, I, I read it the other night when we had prayer, and, um, and prophesied at the Washington, D.C. Victory Campaign about 2007, where he prophesied about the open door, be the year of the open door. But he talked about uh, the catastrophes that would be coming upon the earth. I'm sure you can go to his website, kcm.org, and look at that prophecy if you'd like to, about the catastrophes that would could be coming upon the earth this year and how the body of Christ... Uh, as we walked with him, would we would hardly notice it? Would just it wouldn't it wouldn't be a factor. But you know we need to know what to do when we encounter emergencies, whether they're on the national level or whether it's just in the uh, the home. Hallelujah! Ever sometimes we've you know you can have an emergency in the home. Uh, what to do when there's a tornado coming? Hallelujah! You look out the back door and you see a tornado. We watched a show on the tornadoes that was in that town in Missouri. I I guess it was or no Zenia, Ohio. Zenia, Ohio in 1974 we watched that last night and that was and so there's things out there and so what do we do in an emergency and we discovered last week that the number one thing we can do to is in an emergency is to be prepared ahead of time to be prepared ahead of time and we're not talking about having flashlights although you may want to do that and having water and those are things that we should be led by the Holy Ghost in amen, amen? I mean, I'm not saying, oh, you don't even have to have that, but you, we, can be, we can be led by the Holy Ghost, but then we can also, if we find ourselves without water, we'll just believe God, won't we? Hallelujah. And, 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 it, and it, it'll be okay. It'll turn out right. Hallelujah. As long as we stay in faith. We talked about being prepared. Talks is uh, uh, A part of that is being prayed up. And, and y'all know what that means. Hallelujah. That means you're not behind in your praying. That means it hadn't been two weeks since you talked with God. But you're prayed up. You've got it covered. You're already on top of it. Hallelujah. And then being filled up. Being filled up. Staying full of the Holy Ghost. The more full we are, the better we're going to be able to handle any situation or circumstance that we come up against. And you know, we may encounter emergencies that aren't even our emergencies. But that are somebody else's emergencies that happen right in front of us. You know what I'm saying? And so we may encounter those kind of emergencies. And it's good to be able to listen to the Holy Ghost, to hear His voice, to know, to, to know what to do, when we're supposed to do something, when we're not supposed to do something. We talked about last week about Mary Fran Varallo, who's coming at the end of March, how uh, the Holy Ghost told her when she saw a wreck right in front of her, happened right in front of her, a terrible wreck. And the Holy Ghost said to her, go get in the car with Him. And, and she heard the voice of the Holy Ghost, went and got in the car with the young man, got in the back seat with him, and just sat with him and, and led him to the Lord. And, you know, and, uh, and, and, he, and then he just, as soon as she led him to the Lord, he stepped over into eternity. Hallelujah. But praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He didn't step over into hell. Hallelujah. And that's awesome, isn't it? And so we talked about being con confessed up. That uh, we need to be putting the word out there. The Bible says God hastens over his word to perform it. So we need to put something out there for him to work on. 
You know, he uses his word to rescue us. He uses his word. It's whatever, uh, whatever we've put out, what he's able to do. Uh, and then we talked about taking refuge every day, taking refuge. I heard Miss Gloria Copeland say that every day she takes refuge in Psalm 91 or and takes refuge under the blood of Jesus in the secret place of the Most High. And uh, we just, you know, folks, we can't be too busy. And I don't know, I learned this a long time ago. I, and I'll tell you, you this something may surprise you. you some people say, well, Miss Debbie, I would have called you, but I know you're busy. Actually, I have more time probably any of y'all. You know, did you know that I have lots of time? And I did, even when I was teaching Christian school and raising two sons and, and uh, you know, uh, helping pastor, pastor a church in Seminole, Texas, I always had lots of time. And the reason I had lots of time is if you will just put Jesus first, it's your first of your day. And I gave the Lord one hour every morning. Now, it was, I had to get up and, and I gave him from 6 to 7 a.m. every morning. And, uh, and it meant some things. I mean, some mothers would just think this is awful, but Eric and Colin packed their own lunch. We had to pack our lunch for Christian school. They packed their own lunch, and guess what? They also packed mine. I bought the groceries, and they, I set them up every week, but they had to do that. They had to get their own breakfast. Hallelujah. They had to, you know, they, you know, they had to do some things in the morning, but from 6 to 7 a.m., I spent with the Lord, and I tell you, we had a Christ, our Christian school ran smooth. Our, our, uh, uh, it, it always ran just like clockwork. It was, it was just smooth as glass all the time. Our Christian school was not a financial drain on our church. It actually, it caused a cash flow. I mean, it was, it, it, it added to the church. It didn't take away from it. And you know, I'm telling you that because most of the time when you hear Christian educators talk, they talk about what a drain it is on their church. And what a, and you know, it, it wasn't. And, 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 and I always had time. I, I left that school every afternoon at four o'clock. I had a friend that, uh, uh, that had the same, very same Christian school in Pecos, Texas, and she was the, she had the same position I had, and she would say, how do you leave at 4 o'clock? I never get home before 6 or 6.30. But, you know, it, all it, 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 it see, you, there's a secret. There's a secret, and that is, if you will give your time to God, then He will cause you to be efficient. Y'all know what efficiency is? Efficiency is when you don't have to do something three times to make it work. He give you efficiency. He multiplies your time to you. He does. And I'm not saying we never had a problem, but it's just amazing how your life will line out. And some of you don't have time. You're running behind all the time. You feel stressed. You feel overwhelmed. You feel, uh, you, you don't feel like you're just, you're, your life is kind of chaotic. Your house is a mess. I'm not, I don't know anybody personally. I'm just speaking from how you know people that, pe that a lot of people's houses are wrecked. The laundry room is piled knee deep. The kids are digging through the, the laundry baskets to find something what to wear in the morning. And the only reason your life is like that is because you got to get, you, you're not putting your life, you're not putting your life first into Jesus in the morning. And if you would get up earlier and uh, maybe, you know, might take some pre-planning ahead of time and to even get ready in the night before, get some stuff ready the night before so that you could get up in the morning. And if you'd get up in the morning and you'd spend an hour with Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
And you know, I'm good, ought to tell you, oh, I just always had a most glorious hour. You know, sometimes it wasn't all that, you know, it wasn't all that glorious. Sometimes I was like, you know, we would have meetings at church just like we do now where we would not get home and, and, uh, and yet we would still get up and do that praying every morning. And, and your life will just, your life will line out if you will do that. And you say, well, I am getting up. Well, you, hallelujah. Something's, something's not lining up if your life's not lining up. Hallelujah. So um, now I, I, I just want to say this, and I trust you know this, that when I tell you these things, I'm not bragging on me. I'm just trying to tell you what's worked for me because I'm a real practical person. And when somebody tells me something like, well, you need to pray the word. Well, it's like, don't just tell me, show me. I, I got I to gotta have more details. You know, I like people to show me and tell me. And so that's why I try to give you testimonies of how I said it or how I prayed it or how I confessed it. So you can, and, and I don't mean for you to do it exactly like I did. I, you just take what I tell you and then you let the Holy Ghost direct you but that'll just get you started in the right direction and then and then from there you know your relationship and what you say and what you confess and the scriptures you use and the books you use let the holy ghost guide you but a lot of the ways i found out what i do is i heard i learned it from somebody else i didn't get this stuff on my own folks most of it I'd say 95% of it. I didn't get on my own, but I heard somebody else. I heard Miss Gloria, or I heard Lynn Hammond, or I heard somebody saying, well, this is what I confess, or this is what I do, or this is what I say, or, and you know, the reason I, how did, how did, why, you know why we got up at six o'clock and prayed for an hour every morning? Because one, because, because we didn't know how to pray. We were pastor in church and didn't have a clue how to pray. And we said, Holy Ghost, this year it was 1990. Uh, four, 84, 1984, and had already been pastoring like two years and didn't know how to pray and said, Lord Jesus, this year, please teach us how to pray. Actually, I think it was 85. And we said, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray this year. And somebody gave us, or we got, somehow we got a hold of a set of tapes by Larry Lee. Could you not tarry one hour? And listened to those in 1985 and ended up going to one of his conferences. And he said, you know, he said, get up and go to the church every morning and pray for an hour. So we did that for like four years. But, um, uh, you know, we didn't come up with that on our own. Somebody else had figured out that. And, and figured out that's the way to victory. And, you know, we can look all through the Psalms and find that the way that David and all the, they always said, uh, I'll seek you early, Lord. You know, because when you start your day out, then you can't end your, you ought to end your day with prayer, but you, the Bible says His mercies are new every morning. And you've got to get a clear picture of the day. And it's hard to do that on, at, at like on the night before because you're tired, you're not fresh. Um, and so, um, and, and you know, there's exceptions. I know some of you know, if you work, all night long, you, your day may, you know, your day's not day and your night's not night. So, uh, but you leave be led by the Spirit. We talked last week, that was all extra, I didn't plan to say that. But it must have been important because I don't want to use my time unless it's important. So Holy Ghost, you guide us and lead us in this. We talked about last week about securing your armor. And over in Ephesians chapter 6, we'll turn over there again. Hallelujah. You know, uh, God talked about this armor because he wanted us to have victory and, and be protected and to uh, live the abundant life. Hallelujah. 
And that's one thing, you know, that's one thing, you know, going back to Larry Lee. I don't even know where he is now. You know, that church that was so awesome in Rockwall, Texas, is just, I'm sure the building's still there. But, I mean, that church is gone, Church on the Rock, as far as I know. And I don't know where he's at or what he's doing. But one thing about it, he taught us some stuff while he was there. So he's going to have a reward for that. And one of the things he taught us in that Could You Not Tarry One Hour was to put on your armor every day. And get under, get get in the armor of God, and so so we begin to release our faith for the armor, and uh, uh, and now you know God's given us more understanding as we've grown, and thank heavens we're not the same place we were in 1985, but glory to God. And so Ephesians chapter six verse eleven, put on the whole armor of God. I, let's start in verse ten. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. Well, how are you going to be strong in the Lord? Well, he tells you how. You're going to have to have the armor on in order to be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, Righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So uh, in verse 13, he said, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. So that insinuates that just because you're a believer, just because you're saved, you don't automatically just have all of this stuff. You've got to take it. You've got to take it. Well, how do we take anything? We take it with our faith. Hebrews 11:23 says, talks about uh, uh, taking it. We take it. You know, and so uh, uh, we take the whole armor of God. We take it unto ourselves that we may be able to withstand in the evil day. The implication here is there's going to be some days where evil things come around. And, and, then, and then, but once we've got the armor, he doesn't, he talks about just taking the armor and then just hallelujah, taking our stand in Christ. And we're just victorious. Hallelujah. And so we have on the, uh, uh, we first of all, what does he tell us to take? He says, uh, "Your loins girt about with truth, completely surrounded with truth." We talked about knowing the truth, being truthful with yourself. Then on the breastplate of righteousness, uh, we're, this is covenant talk here. Righteousness is not about what you do. Holiness is about what you live and how you do. Ho- living ho- holiness, righteousness is who you are. You've been made righteous. That has to be received by faith. Hallelujah. Take it. You have to take it. I take my righteousness. Hallelujah. And so righteousness is, is who you are. It, you know, and, and righteousness really is being right and knowing you are. And we're not talking about, oh, I'm always right, I'm never wrong. Not that kind of right. We're talking about being right. When you were born again, you're right. You're right on the inside. One third of you, one third of you, one third of you is perfect. Hallelujah. One third of you, your spirit is perfect. So you're right and you know you are. 
And it don't matter what the devil says about you. It doesn't matter what your kinfolks say about you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, even if you mess up, guess what? You're right and you know you are. Hallelujah. You're right. I say, I'm right. Hallelujah. And you got to not only be right, you got to know you are. It does no good to be right and not know you are. There's millions of Christians all over the world and they're right because they're born again. Their spirits are right and they don't know they are. They don't know they are. They're living under uh, a sin consciousness. They're living under uh, condemnation. They're living under hallelujah. And you know, you can just drive down the roads in town and just read all the church billboards and get under condemnation. Most of them. Now, every once in a while we find one, going to have heaven in 2007. That was, that was a good one. Hallelujah. I said, praise God. I agree. Heaven on earth in 2007. Hallelujah. So, um, <clears throat> you know, there was one down in on 69 South. It's gone now, praise God. It, but it's been there for about two weeks since New Year's. And it said, I hope that, I don't know if this is it. Maybe your troubles this year will last no longer than your New Year's resolutions. And I am like, oh my gosh, how negative, how awful. But you know, really, you can't even hardly, you know, they just hand a book to some little janitor that they, they buy a book that's got little sayings to put on billboards and they give it to some janitor and say, and I'm not against janitors or nothing, you understand, but nobody's putting any thought into it. They're just going down a book that somebody wrote and charged $29.95 for to get church saying signs. Well, it, you know, and um, cause I know they have those because I've seen offers for them, you know. So, uh, so but being right, knowing you are. Uh, being convinced of your right standing with God. And then going on, he says there, because we kind of, we stopped right in the middle of this last week. You need to have your uh, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And, and, you know, I talked to the Lord. I said, you know, I was meditating on this and just letting the Holy Ghost speak to me. Why the feet? What is it about feet and peace? And, you know, one of the things the Holy Ghost said to me is you have to want, if you're going to have peace in a crisis, peace in an emergency, you have to learn to walk in peace on a daily basis. You know, you can't be walk, running around and stressed out. And, and, you know, that's one of the things about uh, even getting up in the morning and spending time with God and getting a, a, getting a, you know, letting the Holy Ghost anoint your day and letting, you know, because if you're just running and bouncing off the walls all day and you're just stressed out and you're not in peace, then, then if a big crisis comes, it's just going to add to the chaos, add to the, the confusion that you've already uh, uh, gotten off gotten off to but if you're if you've learned to walk in peace on a daily basis and if you've learned to walk in peace when there's a little crisis you know because some people get so stressed out so uh, <laughs> frantic so fearful so wound out over some a little thing and pastor and I've even said before looked at each other and said my lord what are they ever going to do if something really bad ever happens you know, because this wasn't even really all that bad. And here they just lost it and went, went crazy. And uh, <clears throat> hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So we need to keep walking in peace. Peace is quietness and rest. And then in verse 16, it says, uh, Above all, taking the shield of faith, where ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Uh, 
above all. So that must mean this is one of the most important things that you be sure and take the shield of faith. A lot of people say, well, I don't like that faith stuff. I don't like faith teaching. But if he says above all, you have to have a shield of faith if you're going to uh, have victory here. So uh, we protect ourselves with our faith. We get our faith out there for our protection. A shield is a protective instrument. And he said here, notice there, he said, ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. He didn't say, well, maybe you can have a little victory. You might win if you'll take the shield of faith. No, he said, if you'll get the shield of faith, ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Hallelujah. Um, that word wicked there means vicious. The devil is vicious. We, we, don't, we, we, we have authority over him. He's been, but he doesn't play fair. And so we need to have the shield of faith up all the time. We can't take a faith vacation. Amen. Uh, quench there means to extinguish. Hallelujah. Now, um, I'm going to read from this book. I, had, I went into pastor's office this afternoon so I wouldn't have to bring this big book and had him run a copy of the, this for me. And when I got back to my office, I'd had him run a copy of the wrong one. <laughs> And so I was, I, I didn't want to ask him to run another copy because it's hard to get this book in his copier. So, um, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. How would you like God to give you a weapon? Now, we're talking about this. Uh, no, excuse me. I've got this in the wrong place. Let me keep going. Thank, I think, okay. The helmet of salvation. Let's keep going. <clears throat> and take the helmet of salvation. Praise God. So we need to talk about that a little bit. He doesn't comment on that. But the helmet of salvation is in the encirclement of the head. Around the head. It's a circle around the head. The Roman soldier's helmet that, that, that Paul and they were familiar with, it was a very flamboyant this helmet was very flamboyant. It had plumes. It was decorated with scenes. You know, we're to wear our salvation like a prize. It is not, we're not supposed to be closet Christians. Amen? So we get this helmet of salvation on. Confidence. This, this, is, this is talking about being confident about our salvation. Not hoping we're saved. Not, well, you know, you can't know that. Uh, no. No, confident that we're saved. This helmet he's talking about, it fit them very tightly. Salvation is not a loosey-goosey thing. And when he's talking about the helmet of salvation here, he's not just talking about our entrance into heaven, but that word salvation is the Greek word sozo. It means our, not only our entrance to heaven, but our healing, deliverance, preservation, and soundness of mind. It literally means healing, deliverance, preservation, and soundness of mind. So we have on this helmet of salvation, we have on this, we're confident about our heavenly home, we're confident about uh, our uh, healing, our deliverance, our preservation. We're not wondering if God's going to deliver us from the situation. We're not wondering, uh, hallelujah, if we're going to be healed. Well, I hope I get healed this time. No. If any sickness does ever get through, we ought to say, there is no doubt it's already done. I'm healed, delivered. See, um, 
we're walking in full knowledge of our salvation. That's what talking about having the helmet of salvation is, is walking in full knowledge of your salvation. See, a, the circle, think about the circle and the helmet. A circle is closed, it's it's complete. You have complete knowledge. You have it, your salvation is complete. It's not open ended. It's not. It's not maybe so. It's not. Well, you're you're close to salvation. No, it's totally complete. Hallelujah. It goes all the way around the head. There's no gaps. There's no openings. There's no breaks in it. There's not a, you can't break, this is unending. You know, that's like the wedding ring is what that symbolizes. Of course, we've kind of lost some of the meaning of that because marriage has become so easy to get in and out of. But that it's supposed to be unending, the ring forever, go on forever. Well, God didn't give you a salvation where you're saved and then you mess up and you're not saved. No, it's unending. It's, it, it, it's never broken. It's, it's closed. It's, it's tight. It's tight around the head. And you have to get secure in that or you don't have your helmet on good. If you're walk, waking up some days going, my Lord, I don't even feel saved. And you're letting that move you. Now we all wake up sometimes and think, man, I don't feel saved. But we don't let that move us because we know that's just a feeling and we've renewed our mind to the word of God that we're not going by what we feel on salvation. We're going by what we know. It's not about what you feel. It's about what you know. And whether I feel saved or not, I know I am. You know, there's times that I mess up and I repent and boy, and I find myself wanting to repent again because I just feel so, I feel so horrible that I let God down and messed up and said something I shouldn't. And, and I, don't y'all just don't like to mess up? And I just have, but you know, I have to receive by faith that the word says if I confess and repent that I am forgiven. So it's just a feeling. It's really a feeling that the enemy's getting me. He's trying to get me over into, into condemnation because he knows that I'll loosen, I'm loosening my grip on salvation. I'm loosening my grip on my righteousness. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not having that, uh, that uh, breastplate of righteousness on tight because I'm going by how I feel. And you know, I, I, the enemy wants you to uh, be weak in all these things because he's looking for an opportunity. He's looking, he knows that if you really know who you are, he can't do anything. And so he works on all of us. Hallelujah. But we secure these things. We, we nail them down. We reinforce them. We take them. And sometimes right there, and when the feelings are the strongest, we have to say, no, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. So I don't receive this condemnation. Now I've repented. Hallelujah. And so I'm forgiven. And it don't matter how I feel. I've noticed that when I'll get, you know, sometimes I might wander around an hour just feeling lousy about what I said or what I did or like I feel like I failed the Lord. But, you know, I've noticed that when I take a stand like that and I get, I, that, you know, it's just amazing how those feelings just nearly always leave immediately. And the devil don't like it when you start talking scripture. He, he vanishes. He gets out. Hallelujah. So this is, uh, this is heaven on the helmet of salvation. Um, uh, the unprotected mind. See, we got to protect our mind or we will fall subject to the devil's lies. His insinuations. His deception. Because see, he's always trying to insinuate that you're not right. 
He, you know, he'll, if any of you have debt in here, I'll tell you, he's always trying to make you feel guilty about that debt. Because see, he's not right there. Even if you did mess up, even if you didn't do right, you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to get you to feel unrighteous, unholy, unright. Man, I tell you, I'm just, you know, I'm just a financial mess up. And uh, he, but you know what? You're right. You're right. You're always right. He's wrong. Amen. And even when you're wrong, you're right. Do y'all catch that, what I'm saying? That even when you're wrong, you're right. He can't stand that. Hallelujah. So he tries to get you to believe a lie. And he insinuates things. And he, will, uh, he tries to deceive us. If the devil can get us to believe a lie, he can manipulate our emotions and he can send signals of sickness and disease into our bodies. That's all, you know, he, that, he, he just sends, first of all, see, we think, well, disease comes and then I have symptoms. That's not most often how it happens. Most often what happens is first you have symptoms and then if you buy them, then you got it. That's really how the devil operates. I love what Joyce Meyer says, uh, false evidence appearing real. Fear, false evidence appearing real. And sometimes I've looked at some and said, no, this is, this is just false evidence. And if I, if I buy into it, then I've got it. If I resist it, like last week, I can tell you, flu symptoms tried to come. You know, I'm like... At first, what was I doing? I did something, and my legs started aching. And I thought it was just because I, whatever I did, and so my legs aching. And then before I know it, I've got this achy feeling. And, all, you know, it took me a while to figure out, this isn't about whatever I did. This is about something else. And this is false evidence appearing real. I, I ain't taking this. And so I begin to resist the devil. And I went and I read my healing confessions from Charles Capp's book. And then I wait, you know what? And I, then I remembered what he says in that book. He said, if symptoms persist, double up. Isn't that what he says? So I went back and I read them again. And I, and, 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 and I, and I praised the Lord. And, you know, I did some other things that are congruent with, uh, you know, warfare and so forth. And you know what? That, that, that lifted it lifted, and so, so, hallelujah. It wasn't real. He was saying, will you buy this? Will you take it? Hallelujah. And so, hallelujah. Now, do I always win that fast? Well, I haven't in the past, but I'm planning on it in the future. You know, because sometimes I bought into it. Hallelujah. So, um, if the renewed mind, because we're talking about the helmet of salvation, the renewed mind, talk, think about that circle of that helmet around your head. The renewed mind is, the com is a complete circle. It's a complete circle. Hallelujah. Crowns. This is... this. This helmet of salvation alludes to other things in the Bible where God's always talking about how he crowns us. Think about it. 
Uh, Psalm 103 says he redeems my life from destruction and he crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. Think about this crown in relationship to the helmet of salvation. Psalm 34, 7 says, see, God's always talking about crowns because he's always putting a circle around us. He's always wanting to put a, a, a Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivers them. The crown, the helmet of salvation. Job 1.10 says, Satan said to this in Job 1.10, You have built a hedge about him and his house and on every side. In other words, the devil could see around Job this circle. Hallelujah. This, this crown, this helmet of salvation. He can see your helmet of salvation that you have it on. Ecclesiastes 10.8 says, Whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. If you let the, if you get a break in that, in that helmet, that crown, and, and the break comes because you believe a lie. Isaiah 5, 5 says, take away the hedge from thy vineyard and it shall be eaten up. If you take away the hedge from your vineyard, God is putting a crown on us, with a salvation crown, and he's put a hedge around your house. He put, but if we take our words and we break the hedge, See, if we take something by a confession and break the hedge, don't break the hedge. I want you to notice that Jesus wore a crown of thorns instead of a crown of glory. See, he bore, he, he bore, he took a, he had a crown of death so we can wear the crown of life, the crown of glory. Hallelujah. This is good. Verse 17 there, we'll go on. Now this is what I was trying to get to a while ago. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have to take the sword. Now this is an offensive weapon. We've had the helmet of we had the shield of faith but a while ago, but we have an offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is supernatural. Hallelujah. Let me read this. Ephesians no, that's not. Hey, I, somehow I got my notes all. I added some stuff and I s inserted it in the wrong place. But I'm going to get this straightened out. Uh, okay, now I'm going to read this. How would you like God to give you a weapon that could rip to shreds the devil's strategies against you? Well, that's exactly what he has done. Now, this is Rick Renner, Gems from the Greek. In Ephesians 6:17, declares God has given you the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want you to look at the word sword in this verse. It is the Greek word uh, machirai. That may not be it, but close. Machirai. A word that exacted fear in the minds of those who heard it. You see, this wasn't just a sword, but a weapon of murder that caused the victim horrid pain as he lay bleeding to death. Visualize that in Satan. Don't you love it? Don't you just love to think about that? Woo. Just for your knowledge, there were various types of swords used by the Roman army during New Testament times. For instance, there was a huge double-handled sword, a sword, double-handed sword, a sword so massive that it could only be utilized with the use of two hands. This sword could not be used in real combat because it was too huge. Instead, it was used during sword practice sessions because it helped develop stronger muscles as soldiers swung it against a post that represented an enemy. There was also a sword that was used for fighting in battle similar to the sword we are familiar with today. 
This sword was very effective in battle, but it more often wounded the enemy than killed him. Because it was so long, it was most often swung in an enemy from the side, thus scraping or cutting a gouge into the side or limbs of an adversary. We don't want to just wound him. We want to take him out. But the weapon referred to in Ephesians 6.17 coming from the Greek word machera was neither of these words. This sword was an exceptionally brutal weapon. Although it could be up to 19 inches in length, most often it was shorter and shaped like a dagger-type sword. Just as a dagger is inserted into a victim at close range, this sword was was used only in close combat. It was razor sharp on both sides of the blade. The tip of the sword often turned upward. Sometimes it was even twisted, similar to a corkscrew. Because this dagger-type sword was razor-sharp, it could easily be thrust into the abdomen of an adversary, and if it had a corkscrew tip, the attacker could shred the insides of a victim by twisting the sword. All these characteristics made the Machari a very deadly and frightful weapon. This two-edged dagger-type sword inflicted a wound far worse than any other sword that was available to the Roman soldiers at the time. Although the other swords were deadly, this one was a terror to the imagination. By using the word Machari in Ephesians 6.17, the Apostle Paul is saying that God has given the church of Jesus Christ a weapon that is frightful to the devil and his forces. Why is this weapon so horrific to the kingdom of darkness? Because it has the razor-sharp power to slash our demonic foes to shreds. Because the word machirai denoted a sword that was a dagger shape, it tells us that the sword of the Spirit is a weapon that is normally employed in closer combat. Let's take this one step further so we can understand why this is so. Notice that this verse calls it the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The term word is taken from the Greek word rhema, which describes something that is spoken clearly and vividly in unmistakable terms and and in undeniable language. In the New Testament, the word rhema carries the idea of a quickened sword or a quickened word, excuse me. Here's an example of a rhema or a quickened word. You are praying about a situation when suddenly a Bible verse rises from within your heart. In that moment, you know that God has supernaturally made you aware of a verse you can stand on and claim for your situation. When this happens, it's as if the Holy Spirit has put a sword in your hand, a spiritual dagger that you can insert into the heart of the enemy to bring about his defeat. There are many examples of God giving someone this kind of quickened quickened word in the Bible. But the best one is found in Luke 4, where Jesus is being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Over and over again, the devil tempted and tested Jesus. But with each temptation, a scripture was quickened inside Jesus. And he would speak forth that scripture to the devil, brandishing it like a sword against his enemy. Each time, Jesus used a verse that the Spirit had quickened to him. The sword of the word dealt a serious blow to the enemy, causing the devil to eventually flee in defeat. Because of the words Machariah and Rhema, Ephesians 6.17 conveys this impression. The Spirit will place a razor-sharp sword at your disposal any time. The enemy gets too close. Let me say that again. The Spirit will place a razor-sharp sword at your disposal any time the enemy gets too close. When the enemy gets too close, the Holy Ghost is going to give you a word, a rhema, a scripture is going to rise up in your heart. The sword's power 
will be available the very moment the Spirit quickens a specific word for a specific situation you are facing. So when you are quickened, and all of a sudden a scripture comes to your mind, you're not supposed to just think, oh, that's sweet, that's nice. You're supposed to use it. It's a sword. When you receive a rhema from the Lord, the Holy Spirit drops a word or scripture into your heart, causing it to come alive supernaturally and impart special power and authority to you. Special power and authority. All of a sudden, you, the enemy got too close. The Holy Ghost gives you a scripture comes up in your heart. And, all, and this now, it's more than just this word, which is powerful, but now it has special power and it has special authority. We already have authority. We already have power, but now we have a rhema. Now we've got special power. We have special authority. It's so important to know this and to use it. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit will reach up from within your spirit and quicken to you a scripture that has the exact power you need for the situation you find yourself in at that moment. In other words, the Holy Spirit will give you a rhema, a specific word for a specific time and a specific purpose. When that happens, you have just received real sword power. In the realm of the spirit, it's time for you to insert, twist, and do damage to the devil. You, then you can watch in jubilation as he, as he hits the road and flees. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, sometimes we have to stand, we stand on, we always stand on the logos as we're believing and waiting and listening to the Holy Ghost to give us the rhema. In other words, if symptoms comes to our body, immediately we go to 1 Peter 2.24 and we begin to stand on that word that we know. But we're also listening for the Lord to give us something that's, 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 not, that's a rhema, a specific, something specific. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Well, I like it. Whether anybody else did, I loved it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, I want to read you another weapon about another weapon. We got a little time. I got to read you another weapon that's not listed here. So I'm going to read you something else. Notice verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now I'm going to read a little. This will be shorter. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. When Paul wrote this to the Ephesians, he spoke extensively about the armor of God, urging believers to use their spiritual weaponry. However, as you study this full list of weaponry, it seems that the lance or spear, a key weapon, is missing. But although Paul didn't explicitly mention the, la the spear, the lance, he did tell believers to take up the whole armor of God, implying a complete set of weaponry. We can therefore assume that Paul must have intended to include the lance or spear in this set of spiritual equipment. By revelation, Paul compared the various kinds of prayer God has made available to us. This is why he said praying always with all prayer and supplication. When a believer effectively uses prayer, it becomes a lance that can be thrust forth into the spirit realm against the works of the adversary. By forcibly hurling this divine instrument of prayer into the face of the enemy, a believer can exert great spiritual power, literally attacking the devil from a distance in order to stop major obstacles from developing up close in his personal life. 
Now see, he's been talking all this time about the putting on the armor of God, and he talked about uh, the, uh, the, the shield of faith, which is a, a protective instrument and, 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 or defensive. And then he talked about having the sword of the Spirit, which is offensive, but, uh, but Rick Renner told us there from the Greek that, and from studying Roman weaponry that uh, the sword is, a, you, you have to be up close. I can't hurt you. You know, if you're back at that in that corner there and I've got a sword and I can just swing it all I want to, I can just wear myself out swinging it and it's not going to do any good, is it? Because you're over there. Hallelujah. So it's when the devil gets really close. In other words, symptoms get really close. The attack is really close. That you, that you need that rhema, the sword of the spirit, and you jab him right in the gut. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just love it. Just enjoy it. Amen. Hallelujah. You, sometimes you want to say, come closer. Hallelujah. Now, see, some of you are so scared of the devil. We got to quit being afraid of him. Hallelujah. He is under our feet. And you, the, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. Hallelujah. And you know, sometimes he'll keep bugging you until you, 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 you want him coming close so you can get him because he's going to keep, you know, it's like a gnat. Come closer so I can swatch you. Amen. And like that moth that was in here Sunday night, sometimes you just got to go up in the bushes like they did and kill the blooming thing, you know. Hallelujah. But now here he tells us about the lance, which he didn't mention, but the lance is something in prayer that you can use from afar off. In other words, you can prevent things. If you'll get up in the morning, and you, and, and you know other times too, but you can prevent a bunch of things. You can prevent a bunch of things that throw your whole day off. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. You may not can prevent everything, but you'll prevent a bunch of things. Because you'll be taking the Word of God and using it as a lance from a distance. Hallelujah. As you sit and pray in the Holy Ghost, something will come up in your heart. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you'll see, you'll see something. You may see, you know, you might just have a little glimmer of something. You know, just a, a just, I don't know. You might just see a little uh, tire squealing or something. Or you might just see just a little glimmer. You're just praying along and all of a sudden you just kind of see a car pull out in front of you. Well, you can take care of that right then. Don't just say, oh, well, I wonder somebody's going to pull out in front of me today. Well, God didn't show you so you could sit there and wonder or just so you could say, man, I'm psychic. I, I, I saw that before it happened. Well, <laughs> hallelujah. Praise God. He saw, he said it so you could, he showed you so you could stop it. Hallelujah. Or, you know, you say you see a mushroom cloud. We've got a friend that saw a mushroom cloud over New York City, had a vision. Hallelujah. He said it in this church before. Saw so I think. I don't know. I've heard him say it anyway. Saw so, saw so I had a little vision. Actually he saw nine one one before that happened too. And all and he he didn't tell us ahead of time, but he told several people and some of them lived up there. Man, his phone was ringing off the wall because he saw it before it happened. And you know, he didn't stop it. You can't always stop it, but you can minimize it. He, God showed you. God showed you for one of two reasons, either you or three reasons. Either you can stop it, or you can minimize the, the the results of it. In other words, you can you can help help some people be delivered, even though all may not be delivered. Or uh, he showed you so that you could you so you wouldn't fear. 
You and me and fear about it. He's already told you ahead of time. Hallelujah. Well, uh, this friend of ours has said, uh, I'll tell you who it is. It was Joe Morse. He saw a mushroom cloud over New York City. Hallelujah. Well, Brother Robert saw something. We don't know what it was, but he saw something. Hallelujah. So why did the Lord show us? Well, first of all, so we wouldn't fear. Hallelujah. Secondly, we, we're, we're praying and believing God for people to be delivered, for people to be at the right place at the right time, for people to hear the Holy Ghost, for people to get saved. Amen. And, and we're believing God that that'll be, that for that to be stopped as much as is possible. Hallelujah. And some things can't be stopped because uh, they're in this final plan. Hallelujah. Y'all know what I'm talking about there. Hallelujah. Well, uh, let me let me just go ahead and finish this being prepared thing. It's got about five minutes, and uh, and then we'll next week we'll get into the other things that what you do. I just want, we'll get past the being prepared. One of the things in order to be prepared, we're out of the armor of God now, and we're talking about just some other things. Where being prepared is concerned is just in your daily life. It, it'll make you strong if you will not. If you'll practice strength, not weakness. A lot of people practice being weak. But you need to practice being strong. You know what I'm saying? In other words, not yielding to weak things. In other words, not allowing yourselves to worry. You know, if you're worrying over what you're going to wear to the party tonight, that's practicing weakness because that is like... Man, if you went in your Bermuda shorts, it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be life-changing. It might be tonight. You might freeze, but you might have frostbite. But, but you know what I'm saying? Just taking little things that don't mount to a hill of beans and worrying about them, that's practicing weakness. Uh, whining, whining and complaining all the time, that's practicing being weak. Oh, you know, it's just, you know, and we do. We whine and we complain. I know, but we need to break this. We whine when it's hot. And then we whine when it's cold, don't we? And, you know, some of it, you know, some of that. But then on other levels, we whine and complain and hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And don't, we need, to, we need not to practice weakness. We'll practice being strong. Uh, <clears throat> we'll be more prepared. One of the things that makes us strong is doing what's right when we don't feel like it. If you'll start getting up in the morning and praying, it'll make you stronger. Cause, why? Because I guarantee you, you aren't going to feel like it. Oh, there's going to be mornings you're so sleepy. Hallelujah. There's going to be times you are slow, so, 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 so sleepy. Um, thank you, Jesus. I'm glued together here. Going to church. Not letting your emotions decide. I feel like it tonight. That's practicing weakness, I hate to tell you. I don't feel like it tonight. I'm just not in the mood. You are practicing being weak instead of practicing being strong spiritually, being a strong Christian. Praying longer than feels good is a way to build strength. You know when you're praying in tongues and you want to quit? 
I can feel it sometimes when in the church we'll say, let's all pray in the Spirit. Uh, all of a sudden you'll pray, we'll pray about three minutes, and then everybody just wants to quit. You can tell. You can feel it like everybody wants to quit. Well, you know, and, some, and so we will do this. We will purposely just keep going. Why? Because that makes us stronger when we pray longer than feels good. Hallelujah. So if five minutes feels okay to you, you can do that. We'll get you a timer. I use a timer. I actually use a timer to pray. A lot of times. Like if I don't feel like praying that morning and I just can't get going, I tell myself I can do anything for 15 minutes. So I'll set that timer for 15 minutes and make myself pray in tongues for 15 minutes while that timer... And you know, it always, I'll tell you always, before that thing ever goes off, I've already, it's already caught hold. I've already got the flow. And then I'm just going and I'm not even paying attention to the timer. And when that timer goes off, you know, it always happens that I keep on going. Amen? It always happens. I will do that if I don't feel like studying the Word. I'll, I'll set my timer for 15 minutes. You can set it for 10, but whatever, whatever feels okay, go longer and it'll make you stronger. You know, that's how it is with walking or anything. <laughs> I can walk a half block and I want to quit. Hallelujah. So we need to go longer because what does that do? It builds physical strength, right? Well, that's, this is the same with spiritual things. Um, uh, <clears throat> I'm nearly through. Now, we're not, let me clarify this. When we pray longer than feels good, we're not trying to earn something. We are not trying to earn something. We're practicing being strong. There's a difference in, well, I'm trying to earn something for God. I'm praying five minutes and I'm on, He's going to bless me. No, I'm practicing being strong. Praising longer and harder than you really feel like. Now, some of you need to get a revelation of this because you don't feel like it very much. Hallelujah. You don't feel like, you don't feel like, like raising your hands. Well, do it anyway. Practice that because it makes you strong. Hallelujah. Practice speaking out boldly. I told Eric, I said, I didn't hear anything tonight. I want to hear something back there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God, y'all went back there. I believe it's making a difference. And we women, we can handle it. We don't need none of y'all. Did you hear me? None of y'all. We don't need you in here. We want you back there praying. Praying for your family, praying for this church. That's what we need you to do. We need the, we, we can handle this. If you hear us screaming, you run out. But we, don't, we want you to pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> And we may that may not work. Hey, we get a thousand people, that may not work. And we'll do something different. But right now, look. It'll work right now. It'll work right now. Okay. <clears throat> being bold. You have to practice being bold. You know, <laughs> some people just can't pray in front of people and so forth. Or I didn't feel like it either. I was intimidated too, and sometimes I still get intimidated with the first. But you know what I do? I just reach down inside myself and make myself. I just, I just reach. You know, the first night we, I had prayer at my house. The ladies, you'd think I wouldn't be intimidated, but I felt so intimidated. A different place, a different room, people I hadn't prayed with before. But what I do? I just did it anyway. And we, that makes us strong when we just do it anyway. Even though we feel intimidated, even though we feel like I don't know how to pray, I feel like I don't know how to pray regularly. 
I really do. I know so little about prayer compared to what there is to know. And, but that doesn't matter. We just get in there with all fours and just, just, hallelujah. And you know, I may not say everything right. But bless God, if I say enough, God's bound to find something He can use. You know, that's how I feel. He's bound to find a word or two He can, he can use for something. Hallelujah. And he'll give me, and, and I'm always asking me, him to teach me and show me more and call, cause people, me to be in the presence of people that can teach me something more. And, and he does that in different ways through books and, and tapes and people and hallelujah. But, um, you know, we just got to get in there and not, well, I might say it wrong or I might do it wrong. Well, hallelujah, that's okay. God will fix us. He'll fix us. He'll correct us. He'll teach us. So, and then practice yielding to the Holy Ghost. Because that makes us strong when we yield to the Holy In relationships, it, it, practice walking in love. That'll make you stronger. And you think, and then you'll be, you, you'll be the, the stronger we are, the more prepared we are for anything we might come up against. Practice being the bigger person. Because that makes you strong. You know, sometimes when uh, something goes wrong or something, pastor will say, I'll say, well, what are we going to do? And he say, well, we're just going to be the bigger person. We're, in other words, we're going to act like we're the mature Christian, even though we may not be the most mature, or even though we may not be, may even feel like acting that way. But we're going to act like we're just going to practice it. We practice being the bigger person. Do we always do it? No. Do we try to do it? Yes. But do we fail sometimes? Yes. Hallelujah. But we're trying to practice it. And let me tell you something else. Forgiving people. Practice forgiving first. Apologizing. It'll, it'll make you strong to apologize. Why? Because it takes faith to humble yourself. It takes a lot of faith for a man to humble himself to his wife. And sometimes it takes faith, you know, because we women, we think we're always right. So it takes faith for us <laughs> to humble ourselves and say, I'm sorry. Hallelujah. And practice, here's another place to practice. Practice trusting God for finances. And practice staying in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. Say, today I'm not going to get out of the Spirit. That'll stretch you. That'll make you stronger too. Even if you fail, it'll make you stronger to practice it. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to close. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes we need to practice staying a little longer at church and making our flesh submit. So we did five minutes. We stretched. We went five minutes and stretched. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.